As we come to the Word today, I invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And it's very bittersweet for me to come to this pulpit to bring you the Word one more time. I'm mindful of the last six years, the way in which you all have become family. You've become my home away from home. In fact, you've endured my preaching and my ministry with the grace of God. For that, I'm eternally grateful. And I believe that that is somewhat of the context that we see in Paul's letter here to the Philippians. I think that's what he begins to get at here in chapter 1. And as he begins this letter, he pours out his heart to the Philippians. Let's turn our attention now to that passage I'll read for us, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The goodbyes are hard. I wonder if you've ever really stopped to take time and think about why are they so hard? Why are they often so difficult and full of tears? such a wash and a range of emotions. Well, as Courtney and I have begun to prepare for our move, I found myself thinking more and more about leaving. Now, sure, thinking about going can be lots of fun. A new house, hopefully, a, a new job, new restaurants, new people, all kinds of exciting new things to experience. But then, you also begin to think about all the things that you'll be leaving. All the things and all the people that you've grown to know and love. When I was just a little guy, probably about five or six years old maybe, I remember very vividly when my oldest brother, he was kind of a role model for me in my childhood, very close to him, he left home to go to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. That's right, you heard me correctly. When I went to kindergarten, he went to college. And I, although my memory is not very clear or good of some of those earliest memories, I remember vividly his maroon Nissan 300ZX backing out of the driveway and heading off to Chapel Hill. As a young child, I had a very difficult time with that. I often wondered why he had to go. 
Now, I knew he was going off to school, but remember, I'm a young child. I thought in my mind, who would leave home and all that they love to go to school? And I think our young people who've just gone back to school maybe can sympathize with that. It's been in the summer having lots of fun, doing all kinds of things at home or on vacation, and now they go off to school. As I grew older, I began to realize more and more why goodbyes are so troubling for us. Deep down, I think all of us fear that that might be the last goodbye, that maybe there won't be a hello, good to see you again, to follow it up. Well, beloved, the good news of the gospel this morning is that there are no real goodbyes for the church. For God's people, the church of Jesus Christ, there will always be another hello. Good to see you again, my dear friend. In the first part of our passage, as we turn our attention back to God's Word, Paul highlights several important truths about the Christian life and how we are to live it together. He first reiterates his gratitude to God for the blessing of Christian fellowship. And I don't think it's a stretch or too hard for us to understand this this morning. As we look around the room, we must be aware of the fact that we all wouldn't be together if it weren't for God's work in our lives. People from very different walks of life, from very different places, different families, but God has seen fit to bring us together as a church family, as the body of Christ. And so Paul rightly instructs the Philippians and us, We're to be grateful to God for His work in our life, for drawing us together as brothers and sisters in His household. And he then goes on to explain that every time he prays for this Philippian church, he does so with joy in his heart. Listen to his words. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Now, if we really stop and think about that for a moment, this is quite a profound truth. Even while Paul is separated from the Philippians by hundreds of miles, even while he's sitting in prison at the time of writing this letter, he still finds joy in praying for those people. Why? Well, notice carefully the answer to that. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's excited to pray for the Philippians. He has joy and gratitude in his heart because they're fellow laborers in the kingdom. They've shared in the work of God and the work of the church. And that brings an overwhelming sense of camaraderie, of fellowship. How often is that true in our own lives, isn't it? Don't you find that you really get to know someone when you serve with them? How sweet it can be. What an incredible blessing it is to roll up our sleeves and to serve God's people, to serve the world together. Paul finds joy even when he's separated from these people that he loves precisely because he knows they share in his same love. They share in his love for the mission of God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul continues in this first part of our passage, highlighting one more very important truth. Notice what he says in verse 6. 
I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, it might sound too simplistic for us today, but, but Paul can rest even where he is, even in prison, even separated from loved ones and family. He can rest because he knows that God is at work. Because God never stops working on behalf of his people. And Paul can rejoice with the Philippians as he prays for them, even though he can't labor in their midst, he can't serve alongside them anymore. He rejoices in his prayer because he knows that God Almighty will finish what he started. That first and foremost, God is the one at work in our midst. We don't do the work of the church. We don't accomplish the work of the kingdom. We join God in His work. We join in His mission to bless the world through the kingdom of Christ. So Paul ultimately finds comfort and hope because God never leaves a job undone. He will never come up short. He will never fail us. And this is important. We must understand, Paul may have never seen the Philippian church again. You know, if he were like me, he probably would have been plagued by some thoughts and some doubts. You know, there may be things he wished he could have done with the Philippian church. Maybe things he wished he could have taught more or gave more of an emphasis to. Or maybe there were certain people he wished he could have helped just a little bit more. You see, this is a beautiful reminder from the Apostle Paul that we're all partners together in the Gospel, but it's a subtle reminder to us that God doesn't need us to finish His work. It's a great privilege. We get to join Him in working for the kingdom. But beloved, He doesn't need us to accomplish what He begun. He teaches the Philippian church that God is the one building the church, Paul says. God is the one building this church. We cannot and we must not forget this. If we do, we'll always be plagued by doubts and worry. Oh, if I'd just done a little bit more. If I'd just measured up a little bit more. You know, as we transition to the second part of our passage in verses 7 and 8. Just as subtle as that temptation is, the temptation to, to think we need to do a little bit more, there's also the opposite temptation at work often in the church. And that's the temptation maybe to do too little. Now we shouldn't be plagued with worry and doubt about our gospel labor not measuring up. For indeed it is God who wills and works through us to accomplish His end. But the only exception to this is when we don't labor for the Gospel in the first place. Well, Pastor, how can we know the difference? We're trying to walk a good middle ground. We don't need to worry about have we done enough. But we also need to avoid the temptation to do too little. I think Paul helps us with this tension again in verses 7 and 8 now. Notice how he begins this passage. He says, I hold you in my heart 
for you are all partakers with me of grace. It might seem simple, but the first question that Paul would ask the Philippians, that he would ask you and me today, is are we a partaker of God's grace? Simple as it sounds, that's actually the most profound question you will ever ask yourself. Have you been a partaker of God's grace? Well, the first thing to ask is, do we know what grace is? Do we really know what God's grace is? Well, I would ask, have you come to understand that you're a worthless sinner apart from the love of God, apart from the love of God in Christ? That we're all, all of us, in desperate need of His compassion, of God's mercy. That no matter who we are or where we are or where we've come from, we will never measure up in ourselves to be good people. It simply will not happen. We are not good people deep down. And if we recognize this, then, have we come to understand that God's grace is something that He gives to us merely out of His good pleasure? It's not a transaction or an exchange that we make with Him. God gives us His favor, in other words, not because of anything in ourselves, not because of who we are or what we do, You know, He doesn't even give us His grace because we think we want it or need it or desire it. God gives us His grace simply and only because He loves us in Jesus Christ. We have found favor in His eyes and He sets His affection upon us in Christ. And beloved, there is nothing in all the world that can divert that affection. Nothing can change God's mind. He looks upon you in Christ as a precious child. Someone whom He holds so, so dearly. It's what Moses of old learned in Exodus 33 where God revealed Himself to him on Mount Sinai saying, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And the same Apostle Paul who wrote our letter this morning adds an important teaching in Romans 9. He says, so then, as he quotes that passage from Exodus, he says, so then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. None of us can say then that we're worthy of God's love. And equally as important, none of us especially can say that we're more worthy of God's love than someone else. And that's the beauty of grace, isn't it? We don't deserve it. But alas, God has chosen to pour it out freely upon His people. Those who believe that Christ has been raised from the dead, those who confess that Jesus is Lord, will be saved. There's nothing that can take away the grace of God. Have you experienced that joy then? The freedom that God loves you in Christ. There's nothing in your hand that you must bring. Simply to the cross of Jesus must you cling. And if you have, then you'll count your life as nothing for the sake of knowing Christ. Like Paul says later in this book, 
you'd be willing, like these Philippians, to suffer with the Apostle Paul. Notice what he says next, that the Philippians have joined him both in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the Gospel. Did you catch that? In short, the Philippians aren't ashamed of Paul or the Gospel. Now let's contextualize for a moment. Let's bring it up to 2018. How would you feel if Barry or I wound up in the Moss Justice Center next week? I think we'd probably be wrestling with the tension of, I don't know, do they deserve to be there? Maybe. What happened? A pastor of the church in prison? And yet we see because of the work of God in Christ, these Philippians aren't ashamed of Paul. They're not ashamed because they know that he is preaching the gospel. They're not ashamed of who Jesus is and what He has done on behalf of His people. Though He's in prison, though He and the Philippians have been threatened with public ridicule and shame. And brothers and sisters, I would warn us, I think that day is coming more and more when we as Christians, simply by being Christians, will be ridiculed in the eyes of the public. We will be scorned and shamed simply because we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Will we be ashamed then of Him? Maybe that's a way in which we might be doing too little for the Gospel. I'm preaching to myself here. Are we overly comfortable with our lives? Are we content in this modern Western America, this land of plenty and wealth? Have we forgotten that Jesus promised His disciples that they will suffer, that they will find persecution from the world? If the world has hated me, Jesus said, they will hate you. Now thankfully, Paul doesn't stop here. This is not a guilt trip from God that you need to suffer more. Paul explains his motivation for this in verse 8. Look there with me. He says he yearns with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is willing to be expended. He's willing to suffer, to lay down his life for the gospel, for the Philippians, because he has experienced the affection of of Jesus. Paul has experienced this love of God in Christ. He's been made a child of God. He's been given all of the rights and privileges and blessings that a son of God deserves. And so now he has a new affection towards the Philippians. He's willing to be beaten and imprisoned and to suffer anything precisely because he knows that's what Jesus did for him. And you see, that's how we find the middle way between these two temptations. It's not because we're such good people that we want to love and serve people or suffer for Jesus. It's not because we muster up that goodness and strength in ourselves. No. It's because we look upon Jesus and we see how great and vast is His love unto us, how rich and how free the love of Christ is poured out to us. And beloved, that motivates us. That encourages us, that yearns us for one another. 
But how are we doing that for each other here in this church? Are we content with just surface relationships? Or do we really yearn for each other like God has yearned for us in Christ? I think a good litmus test for us this morning might be to consider our goodbyes. Do we really ache and hurt for those who have left our midst, those who have gone out from our fellowship? Now, inevitably, in a church our size, people will come and go for various reasons. We'll move away for a different job or move to be closer to family, all manner of good reasons. But we also need to ask ourselves this morning, do we make that easy for them to do? Are we content with just saying hello in passing as we go to Sunday school? I put the early service on the hot seat, so I've got to be fair. Just look around the sanctuary this morning. Do you know these people? Could you say that I've prayed for so-and-so for this, or I know what's going on in their life? Or, oh, you know, so-and-so is not here today. I wonder what, what's going on. Let me call them. Let me encourage them. Beloved, I would submit to you, we all can do a better job at that. Going deeper with one another so that when we do say goodbye, it hurts, but for a good reason. I know that those relationships are hard, but it's those deep relationships that give us the most joy in this life. It's those deep relationships that get us through the sad and difficult times that come in this sinful and fallen world. When we're broken and bruised and battered. It's those deep relationships that help us keep going. Because we know that he or she beside us has our back. Because they love us in Christ. Because they're concerned for our soul. And I think if we're doing this well. The fruit will be evident. You know, our relationships will not be inward focused or self-serving or selfish. And that's what we see. Look with me as we go to the last part of this passage, verses 9 through 11. I think most conspicuously what we don't see, what's absent in the last few verses as Paul pours out his heart to the Philippians, is there's virtually no mention of Paul's relationship with them. He seems, in fact, to be entirely concerned with the Philippians and their relationship to God. We might say then that this is the hallmark of good and healthy relationships in the church. As we live out the Christian life, healthy relationships are marked by a focus on God, on His praise and His glory. That's what Paul says so clearly in verse 9. Look, he says that your love may abound more and more. Now we should stop here and notice something important. This is not just any love Paul is referring to. It's not the love that our culture is so infatuated with. Just dump whatever meaning into that word you want. Decide for yourself what love is. It's not that kind of love. And it's not Paul's love for the Philippians. And it's not their love for him. No, it's ultimately their love for God and his love for his people. 
Paul wants them to grow and to abound and to know and be rooted in God's love for his people. That he has set his affection upon his people. That he is doggedly and determinedly loving his people. And so he says it's not just any love. He wants their love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that they may approve what is excellent. As we've already heard from the psalm this morning, that they might know the commandments and testimonies of God. Like God's people of old, they could look at that long history of the Old Testament, how God time and time again loved His people, saved His people, how God is pleased to serve us. He's not a puppet master. He doesn't look at us and say, you must serve me. You must do this and you must do that. God looks at us in His love and says, I've served you. I've come to lay down my life for you because I love you. And Paul is pointing this church, he's pointing us to the love of God. He wants us to grow in this love, this love that's rooted in the knowledge of God, this love that can discern truth from error and approve what is excellent. Ultimately, this love that causes us to be pure and blameless. Not because we're perfect, but because we're pure and blameless in Christ, the only one who is perfect. So Paul alludes one more time to a very important truth. He's already mentioned it in verse 6, but look at verse 11. He says to the Philippians, I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Listen again carefully. He wants this church to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. It's not their own righteousness. It's not our own goodness, beloved. It's the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It's the free gift of God. And God is able to do what he says he will do. He who began that good work in the Philippians and in our lives, he will bring it to completion. Paul's highlighting the sovereignty of God. It's not the work of the Philippians. It's not our hard work in this world that results in this truth. It's God's hard work in our lives. Dear brothers and sisters, this should give us a great sense of peace and of rest. What's the Sabbath day about? Why are we to rest on the seventh day and make it holy? It's not just because we're tired. It's not because the world has thrown too much at us for six days and we need a little mini vacation every week. No, the rest is because our work of salvation is finished. It's accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if we could, we would not add anything to His salvation. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. You know, the Philippians are just like you and me. They're sinners. They were dead in their sin before Christ. 
They had nothing to bring to God. And Paul is proclaiming the gospel again this morning. If you're facing the man or woman in the mirror and you can't find any hope, or maybe you're going through life and there's only pain or worry or doubt or questioning, maybe if you're wondering, I don't know if there is a God. doesn't seem to be answering my prayer. Beloved, look at me. There is a God. And He is able to fill you with all the righteousness you need, with everything that He requires in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing else you need to add to it. Christ has already done it. It's not we who need to be good and perfect. Christ is the one who is good and perfect. All you need do is rest in Him. And He's calling out to us today. Repent. Believe in Me. Believe that I am enough, says Jesus. And notice how Paul ends our passage. To the praise and glory of God. You know the hardest thing about goodbyes, I think, selfishly, is that we want to see our loved ones again, don't we? That's what makes saying goodbye so difficult. We desperately want to be together. We enjoy each other. We laugh together. We love one another. But pay attention to Paul's point. None of us exists for ourselves. None of us has ultimately been created for each other. We exist for God and His glory. Yes, we're called together to be the people of God, to encourage one another, to support one another, to love each other richly and deeply. But we exist for God's glory. So as hard as it is sometimes, we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to let our loved ones go for God's glory? More pointedly, we might say, I might say, are you willing to let me go to preach for the kingdom? Am I willing to say goodbye to you all? My dear friends, to all the loved ones here, I hold you so dear in my heart, but the answer is yes. We must be willing to see our relationships as a means to lift each other to Christ. He is our focus. He is the reason that we exist. By Him and through Him and for Him, all things were created. We do need each other as God has called us together. But at the same time, we don't need each other. We need God. That's Paul's point. As he leaves the Philippians, probably never to see them again, he brings home his message. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. Before any of you walk out of this place this morning, know that you need the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is here 
to give him to you in full measure. I would pray that I would be forgotten if you were to hold tightly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, I pray that you all will be filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to God's praise and glory because I love you all.